Baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590. The Fan, Maple Leafs on a back-to-back here against the Calgary Flames tonight at 9 p.m. So get your sleep, get your nap, and hopefully for a better performance than last night. I don't know. Kipper might not be a fan of Bruce Springsteen anymore after what we saw last night. Former NHL forward Stanley Cup champ and co-host of Real Kipper and Born getting a workout with those 4 p.m. trades live on air this last week. How are you holding up, Kipper? Oh, all all good. <laughs> it's been all fun, good. eh? <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we, we had a really fun show uh, Tuesday when we heard of a couple of the deals that uh, went down and right in our window from the uh, mm-hmm. 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern slot time there on Real Kipper and Bourne. And just to listen to uh, Sammy McKee is worth the price of admission yeah. alone. Of course, he's our uh, he's our eyes and ears when it comes to true Leaf Nation out there. So, uh, yeah, it's been a fun week. I mean, maybe not as fun for some of the players. Mm. It's a little hectic. You got to remember, past all the millions of dollars, there are human lives here involved with uh, wives and families and uh pregnant wives too who's staying who's going it's not uh not not the easiest time of year for some of the the pro players no certainly a factor i mean it's tough to get uprooted mid-season and have probably no practices at times too on the road but they got to go see bruce springsteen and we're saying this a little tongue-in-cheek a little jokingly but maybe uh, a guilty performance last night with the not showing up, maybe had a little bit too much fun at, at the boss or just the, all the other factors you laid out? Yeah, I I wouldn't, uh, the first place I would, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to Bruce Springsteen as the first place that, uh, <laughs> we will play him anymore in Canada night. on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Bruce, the, the boss is fine. Trust me. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, nice of them to all get together and, and, and go have a little bit of fun. But la- last night was a, a disappointment uh, on, on a couple of levels uh, for sure. And a few things that uh, Sheldon's going to have to try to clean up uh, moving forward here. But yeah, there's there's a fine line between how, uh, how concerned you would be last night. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get a better feel, I think, tonight again. They've, they've responded well off of some tough losses this year. So they don't let it linger too long they don't it doesn't stretch out uh for long periods of time you you hope that they can uh come back into calgary and and look a lot better like they have uh most of the regular season yeah it was strange a bit like hard to pinpoint what exactly went wrong uh they definitely looked off uh some would say hey they're in you know new bodies into the mix and that's going to be a bit of a learning curve it wasn't that way for Matthias Ekholm and really if you look at the lineup like the top three lines are unchanged and they were just flat out non-effective uh last night and it was a little bit strange but now second half of back-to-back maybe you are introducing two new bodies into the mix like it, it feels like uh you know if it is a learning process if it is a curve or a ramp up process with these new players it's going to take some time here maybe we shouldn't expect these smashing success right away uh, yeah, no, no question that it's going to take a little bit of time to gel with uh, so many bodies in there. But I thought Sheldon kind of nailed it uh, last night that the difference of the hockey game was the consistency of a Connor McDavid and the inconsist- inconsistency of uh, an Austin Matthews. And I think, uh, you know, without naming names, without pointing complete fingers, uh, Keith kind of nailed it a little bit when he said uh, he thought his 
new guys were fine, but the guys we regularly count on weren't weren't good enough. And that was the case when it came to, I thought, uh, you know, Austin Matthews in particular. And for whatever reason, uh, just there's some some nights when he's just doesn't look like he's all there, like the Austin Matthews that uh, people have a, uh, come to count on. And uh, that that's going to have to get cleaned up here in the next 20 games. Let's hover over Connor McDavid for a second because um, he's on the path to having one of the great seasons ever. We were trying to contextualize it earlier. We we're trying to kind of place it in history. He's on pace for 69 goals. He's going to be flirting with 70 if he continues on this run. And he's also on pace for 156 points. I mean, these are stats and uh, sort of benchmarks that we haven't seen, as we put it, in Ailish's lifetime. We're talking about maybe the best ever season uh, that uh, she's been alive for. I, I wonder, like, with McDavid specifically, like, what are you saying? My my seventeen goals in Hartford, uh, you know, <laughs> not no, not not quite. I wasn't around in the forties. Qu- <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, is there a is there a chance he's like underrated, underappreciated? That this season is underrated, underappreciated. Maybe it's like we get lost in the bubble. Everything that's going on here with Toronto and Toronto sports teams, specifically yeah. on this show, but. Yeah. I, we're kind of witnessing history here, and I feel like it should be talked about a little bit more than it has been. A hundred percent, Justin. There's there's no question that we're seeing one of the best uh, seasons in history, and uh, right up there. I I, I get it. Uh, you know, the numbers won't be up there with the Wayne Gretzky of over 200 points uh, in in a season, but like it, it is quite remarkable. Even again, uh, you know, in in a short. Uh, what week and a half, two weeks, two goals, five straight games, never been done in the last hundred years. I mean, it's it is incredible. And you know, where do you blame the the feeling for you that uh, that he's not getting still the the quite the recognition uh, that he should be? It's the Toronto media. It, it, no, <laughs> I, I, I think it's just the fact that uh, he's in Western Canada. Uh, the time change. It's not a major market when it comes to uh, uh, mass media in the sports world. And, uh, you know, the East kind of controls the the media, and that's where your Toronto angle, Ailish, may be uh, a factor here. But, yeah, it's just uh, th- there's no question if it was a, a more of a major market, uh, a New York, uh, an L.A., uh, a Toronto, uh, then, you know, this thing would have been blown up maybe – four or five times uh, the uh, the recognition it's getting. But if he finds a way to drag Edmonton into a conference final, uh, a Stanley Cup final, uh, there's no question it'll come. But I think there's been years of disappointment in Edmonton and uh, it, it hasn't garnered the attention that uh, it probably deserves. So I, I think you're, you're, you're right on that, Ailish best season that you've seen because you know you're just a tad bit older than me <laughs> remember i played against mary lemieux and so Wayne he, he tops it at this point i said it's it's been fantastic uh to watch but uh you know in, in my era watching uh and playing and and trying to prepare ways to stop mario lemieux um it, it is certainly we are talking about the best players in, mm-hmm. in the world and in, in their era. And, you know, Connor's no different than Mario Lemieux or Wayne Gretzky uh, in my heyday and in, in, in controlling the game or, 
playing at, at levels that no one else can touch. And, and that's what's going on in Edmonton. Well, a treat to get to watch him. Uh, not last night, though. But if you're a fan of good hockey and a good player, you got to see Connor McDavid uh, take the take the bull by the horns and and own the Maple Leafs last night. So we did get to see some first impressions of some guys. Uh, we talked about McKay being maybe a little too excited or, or looking to prove a lot in that first matchup. A guy that looked uh, excited and maybe overexcited at times. Uh, give me some of your first reactions on seeing some of the new guys in blue and white. Well, there's no question. I, I think when you talk about all the, the pickups, the, the one that needs to kind of stand out the most uh, would be Jake McCabe mm-hmm. as as a defenseman coming in, trying to anchor uh, that blue line, trying to fit in and and take some of those uh, tough moments on, uh, on, on the ice uh, and uh, absorb them much like Jake uh, Muzzin did. Uh, is a bit of a, a, a challenge for him now moving forward. You know, he's closing in on age 30, and he hasn't played an NHL playoff game yet. So I, I think maybe the butterflies last night could could be there for sure for him. Um, I think you got to temper expectations, too, on what he's able to do on a nightly basis. Uh, uh, but there's no question that uh, he's got uh, a physical element to him. Uh, you can see it. Uh, but he's just going to have to find a way to fit in and 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 be a steady force out there. I think at times he overhandled the puck, or you know, bounced off his stick off of a faceoff uh, into scoring zones. Uh, the the penalty was tough. Uh, I think there's at times he could move his feet a lot more, uh, and that was the case on on the early penalty that he took last night. But uh, overall, I, I again. When you make major changes like that, it, it is going to take some time here. It's not a, a light switch, and you know you hope that he he can find his comfort zone uh, as soon as possible. But it may take some time here. But uh, I think he's fine. Lafferty uh, to me is uh, one of those guys that uh, can come in and, and be a great energy guy. Uh, I I think when it when push comes to shove, he's going to move up in the lineup. He's He's a, a good skater, a very good skater, um, and they're going to miss Engvall in terms of having that presence of being a, a big six foot five guy that can that can skate. Uh, but Lafferty should be able to hold his own there. Um, uh, overall, I, I think it's it's just going to take a little bit of time to gel, and you hope in the meantime. And I think we saw it last night from Mitch Marner. Mitch is still Mitch Marner. Uh, but there is going to be more of a demand now for guys like Austin to get going, and you know, to a to a certain extent, Morgan Riley as well. Those guys are taking up close to twenty million dollars of the salary cap. They have to be leaders uh, on on many nights. They have to be uh, best skaters on the ice, and uh, Sheldon's going to have to lean on them to be more consistent here moving forward. You think McCabe can help help Morgan Riley? I mean, we're talking about the arrangement and it might take time and Sheldon Keefe trying to figure out where all these pieces uh, do, in fact, land. Uh, and the idea of McCabe and Brody sounds like a pretty good shutdown pair in a playoff series, but where does that leave you with the other two pairs and who does that mean Morgan Riley has to play with? And last night it was Justin Hall and it just doesn't feel like that's something that's going to work in the playoffs. Uh, it's kind of sad to say because Morgan Riley makes a lot of money and he should make a pairing work. Um, but that is a proven pairing that doesn't work. Do you think McCabe should be given some run with Riley to see if that can work out? 
Yeah, Justin, that was that was the first pairing uh, I thought of when they traded for McCabe. Is that that McCabe could go in there and just hold the fort and let Morgan be Morgan and. Morgan likes to skate. He likes to jump up on plays. He likes to get involved and, and layer up uh, your 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 Nylander and your Mitch Marners. And right now, we just he just continues to kind of get caught in the middle of should I go, should I stay, and uh, I, I think McCabe can be that 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 settling point. But he's going to experiment. There's no question. Uh, Justin Hall came up with a, a physical element last night we haven't seen in a long time, which I think is a good sign. And, you know, again, makes me kind of wonder, hey, hey, Justin, like, where was that uh, all year or, you know, in the last little while? Because, uh, you know, that's another element that uh, the, the team could desperately use. He, he hit Connor McDavid really hard. Um, Yamamoto, he hit really hard, and then he battles uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And and I'm like, that's an element that you could certainly close out the regular season with and and bring to the table against Tampa Bay. So that that, that changes the scope of Hull and, and, and the depth that the blue line can have if he can be a lot more physical like that. So it's up to Sheldon to kind of figure it out in the next little while, and we'll see as uh, as early as tonight if uh, he's going to make any necessary adjustments. But he should. He's got some runway to play with different uh, pairings or different lines, and judging off a game like last night, I think the bingo bangle balls will be out uh, tonight in full force. You think uh, Hall heard Shen swing the door open when he entered the building last night? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, there's no question that uh, he's... He's one of those guys where he can be a, a, a top four guy or he could be the seventh defenseman and, and no one's going to look twice if he's in the stands or in the press box. So uh, I, I think there's a part of him that says he's in a he's got some competition now. Kyle's uh, created something that uh, isn't a given anymore for a lot of these guys to be in the lineup. And I, I think that's a good thing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So what do you make of Eric Gustafson then? Uh, yesterday, I, I was maybe wrong to discount him as an addition or someone who's going to play a pretty focal role. But I, I, I mean, my reasoning was, hey, they just got rid of a guy that they can't hide in a playoff series and Rasmus Sandin. How are they going to hide a guy who could help you on the power play, but not necessarily help you at five on five? I don't expect them to go to 11 forward, seven defensemen, but I just don't know how they're going to use Gustafson in a way that was all that different from Sandin. Where do you see Gustafson fit? Well, I, I, I see him as a, a fairly good option uh, on a power play. So he, he, he's got to be dressed to do that. And, and I think uh, depending on how hot the power play can get or how cold it is, uh, they're going to have to start thinking long and hard about uh, uh, 11 forwards and, and 7D and bringing in maybe Gustafson to sit on the bench and you know, if there's times when Morgan Riley is struggling uh, to move the puck on the power play, then he's got to be dressed uh, to have that option to go. Because right now, if if you look at that that power play and, you know, historically how cold it's gotten this time of year and, and in the first round, that alone uh, has cost Leaf fans, you know, so much misery of, of not advancing to the second round is watching a, a power play go cold and, five, six, uh, game seven, uh, the last few years. So 
Gustafson has to be that secondary option, but he's got to dress for that to happen. And uh, again, something that Sheldon's going to watch carefully here uh, moving forward. But if we do see 11 and 7, it's going to be because you want Gustafson as an, as an option uh, to move in on a, on a power play situation. Also pretty tough to see uh, that power play go up against the world's best in the Edmonton Oilers last night who have just been uh, pretty dynamite on that side of it. Okay, so um, a little bit of the Achilles heel was exposed again with Samsonov. There were some, there were some great moments, though. Don't get so, me wrong. I, I, I Honestly, I'm shocked it took 17 minutes of my hit to get to this. Because, I was just, you know, uh, given some grace this, and patience, but yeah, yeah, it's time. Well, you're a wily veteran yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. Now I'm ready to get fired up. Um, okay, so Samsonov last night, there were some moments, but yeah. there were some no, no, moments on the was... other side of the spectrum, were there not? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, not not uh, bad moments, mm-hmm. uh, overplayed moments, mm-hmm. lost his net moments, and it has to be a concern here going into uh, trade deadline day on on Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. So I'll be shocked right now if Kyle Dubas is not working the phones to to find some uh, reinforcements. In What's out there? Because Jonathan Quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's out there. And I'll, I'll, again, I'll, I'll be very surprised if he's uh, not moved off of Columbus. And I'll be surprised if... if uh, if he's not uh, a Toronto Maple Leaf or a, a Vegas Golden Knight uh, well, by Friday, what would that cost? I'm putting you on the spot, but any idea yeah. what they'd have to give up? Well, uh, yeah, more more draft picks, but so what? Mm-hmm. You know how far you've come right now. So find a way to uh, get Columbus to eat half his contract. Find a a third team to eat another twenty five, and and bring them in. And that's not to be a threat to to Samsonov. Um, you know, you've come this far to to build up stock with him, uh, but he he needs to come in and be a reinforcement. There's there's no guarantees on Matt Murray uh, be, even being available with 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 his history and his runs of of injuries. You cannot rely on Matt Murray uh, to 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 even back up. So that's why you need uh, a, a third party. And I, I didn't believe in it uh, a few months ago, um, but there's just no way that I, I I would do everything that I've done up until this point and then leave myself exposed with a scenario like I had last night. So um, I, I don't think Kyle has any option but to go out there and, and find a third goalie. Are you bringing in quick to be the guy? Are you bringing in quick to be an option? And where do you see quick in terms of his, like the height of his career and how far he might be off of that? I, I think I think he's proven this year in Los Angeles that he can still have some some good moments. Uh, but I'm just bringing him in to just reinforce the goalie situation, and I, I'm not I'm not coming in. I'm not trading for him to be a savior here. But if you do need him to come in and, and stabilize things and the experience that he's had as a Stanley Cup champion uh, is something I think that uh, Samsonov would welcome. Uh, and if Samsonov has a night like he has last night, then put him in. Absolutely put him in. But 
again, you, you can't go this far if you're Kyle Dubas and then just leave it status quo uh, after last night. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's paramount that, uh, that he doesn't leave himself exposed in net. Let's circle back on Austin Matthews to close because uh, it really was a matchup of the two superstars, the guy who stole the Hart Trophy away from Connor McDavid and Connor McDavid reasserting himself as like unquestionably the best player in the world and the best player in the NHL. Like if we were joking, if you told someone, hey, 34 in white, I would play 97 in blue uh, for an entire season. Uh, last night, you'd think that's uh, an asinine suggestion. Uh, what's, what's going wrong here with Austin Matthews? And yeah. does he need to play with Mitch Marner in order to be Austin Matthews? Well, it just seems like Mitch is the 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 whisperer uh, on on any level here, and I, I think you know a good reason why Tavares has had a good season is because he's played three quarters with the Mitch Marner, and I think Mitch, I, I think the move to put Mitch and, and Austin back together is a good one, uh, but he's going to have to start finding ways to 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 pull himself into the fight here because. He had the perfect season last year, and it's tough, I think, for him and Leaf fans um, to to have that as a basis all the time. Like he's not going to be the MVP of the league, and he's not going to score sixty goals every year. Um, but certainly, he has to look a lot more engaged uh, than he did last night and on many occasions this year. And I think that's just the one thing that stands out the most. Is that uh, some nights you're you're hard pressed to 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 really uh, notice him in 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 the manner that Lee fans have been accustomed to, and that's going to have to change moving forward because again, all of this is all for naught if Austin doesn't start uh, acting like Austin. Last one for you here, Kipper. Um, let's move to another Ontario team that made a splash yesterday. Jacob Chikrin. Off the board, finally, finally, um, headed to Ottawa for not the biggest package in terms of just the intrigue around this guy for months and months, and this is what they give up to get him. Um, impressed with the way the Senators pulled this one off, and is it something that you look back on like, hey, how, how could the Maple Leafs or, or Co. not been able to afford something of that sort? Yeah, there's, there's still three pretty uh, good pieces here uh, that Ottawa gave up, and, and in many ways it's – it has been dressed up as uh, two firsts and a, a second, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, to me, that's still fairly significant. Uh, there's no question once Ekholm went to Edmonton and Jake McCabe went to Toronto, uh, less players, less demand. And I I, I think that, uh, you know, Bill Armstrong had to had to get this thing done. He's, he's, he's frustrated a lot of teams, I can tell you, uh, over the last little while. And, uh, you know, I'm glad for Jake, uh, Jacob Chikrin uh, mm -hmm. that it's over and he can move on and, and now even put Ottawa in a position where, I don't know, five points uh, out of a playoff spot um, is, is realistic for them, you know, as, as they continue to kind of get hot here. So I, I hope the energy is good there. Um, again, just... You know, for Ottawa fans, much like Leaf fans, you got to temper uh, expectations as well. He's a very good player, but you know, is he is he Norris candidate? Can he come in there and and be a bit of a savior here? Uh, no question, he's gonna he's gonna log some key minutes for him and and add some depth and and take and alleviate a lot of pressure off uh, a guy like Shabbat. Um, I'm glad it's it's a good time this year to uh, 
to look around and, and find real hockey trades as well. Uh, and none of this rental crap that we've seen the last few years <laughs> this time of year. But uh, overall, uh, a really good thing for the Ottawa Senators and, uh, you know, for even Arizona to move off of this uh, finally. Yeah, keeps the Battle of Ontario getting better and better, which is something we all want here in Toronto as well. Um, Kipper, enjoyed chatting with you today. Best of luck the next two days. Looking forward to the trade deadline show at 3 p.m. tomorrow as well with you in uh, Bourne. Yeah, thanks. Okay, you guys have a great day. You as well. That's Kipper, former NHL forward, Stanley Cup champ and host of Real Kipper and Bourne. And, of course, tomorrow, a full day of NHL programming on our station. Following the J.D. Bunkus podcast, Justin and Matt Marchese have a two-hour edition of Sportsnet today from 11 to 1. And then Gunner and Gord have Leafs Nation 1 to 3. And then Kipper and Bourne hit the airways right after 3 p.m., Deadline hits and then fan drive time, of course, closing out our daytime programming from five to seven. Justin, double duty, putting the grind in just like my Ailish hour last year, but even better. Yeah, full day of radio uh, and hockey uh, coverage on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. But of course, on TV, Hockey Central trade deadline will air on Sportsnet beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern. So whether it's radio or television, Sportsnet's got you covered. Could do both at the same time. You could. One headphone in, volume on the TV. You'll be on the roads listening to me. Buddy, I'll be listening. Me and Maddie Marchese. The studio is going to be busy tomorrow. They have some special guests, too. I don't know if we're allowed to tease who's coming, but... Yeah, you know, Bunkus did say this yesterday. Yeah, he did. Got Paul Bizanet here. Bizanet will be coming in. Not with me and Maddie. We've got uh, Bottrell, Stewie, and I think maybe Mike Fuda. What a show. Everyone's just downstairs. They're going to be coming up. It's going to be a little escalator action right into the studio. (laughs) It's going to be a fun day. It's a big day. There's still lots to come, all right? Just because things have happened doesn't mean Friday will be a dud. It's going to be down to the wire. I think some teams are going to surprise. So stay tuned. Big day tomorrow. Um, Let's finish off our baby Friday with some great guests as well. Ben Nicholson-Smith joins us on the other side of the break from Dunedin. We've got Jackie Redman at 8 a.m. And of course, we're going to go nationwide with George Russick and Matt Rose from the big show sports at 960 The Fan in Calgary at 8.30 a.m. So you can be texting them at 960-960 poking the bear, telling them what your definition of insanity is. Just like the Alan Walsh tweet. Send that in. Get them fired up this morning. So we're going to go live and ask them why they're the only team in the NHL yet to make a trade so far. That sounds like insanity to me. It sure does. All right, Ben Nicholson-Smith on the other side of the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back in the Fan Morning Show. Sports that to 590. The Fan, apparently this song that we are playing, Ben Nicholson-Smith in, was Kikuchi's walk-up song last year, but it has passed me by. I've tried to erase that part of my memory. <laughs> I mean, there were several walk-ups. There were a lot of... Walk-outs. Yeah, head down. Oh. Chin Things to chest. Things have changed, Justin. I'm choosing to be positive about you, Oh, Kikuchi. my God, am I ever? Like, I'm trying well, to... You have to be. I'm trying to pump the brakes on my positivity for Kikuchi. I don't want to look back on these days and say, you were an idiot. But at this point, things are looking good. Let's ask the guy that's seen it up close and personal, Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host of At The Letters Podcast. How's it going in Dunedin, Ben? It's it's going great. It's nice to be down here. Uh, definitely can't complain about watching some spring training baseball. You know, I think that it's funny being around the Jays, and I, I'm definitely excited to talk about Kikuchi, but just... You know, generally, to to start, 
it's such a funny time of camp because guys have kind of settled in. It's a longer spring than last year. It honestly feels pretty chill. Like these guys are composed. They're kind of conserving some energy. They know that there's a long road ahead. So it's a really interesting time in the camp. Okay, let's start with that before we go to Kikuchi. It sounds like maybe a level of professionalism. I don't know if that's the right word, but a different vibe this time around. No home run jacket. It seems like they've, you know, they've added some veteran guys on the staff that might be taking a different approach. Um, maybe a more serious look ahead at, at what they want and what their expectations are this season. Yeah, I think there's an element of that for sure. There's you know, been a lot of personnel changes. Obviously, a new manager, that's probably the biggest one of all. And then different players in, too, guys like Brandon Belt, um, who have who have done it before, Chris Bassett, who's who's done it before. So, you know, I think that that contributes. And then partly, too, I just think it's, you know, last year there was this feeling coming out of the lockout, there was this feeling of excitement that there was even going to be a baseball season. And, you know, obviously most of the time that I spend down here in Florida is around the Jays, but I suspect that that was also the case in other camps. Just the fact that baseball was back led itself to this, sort of excitement that I don't necessarily sense this year. And that's not a bad thing for a team like the Jays because, you know, it is March 2nd. They have a long way to go and they don't need to waste too much energy right now. How is John Schneider approaching this spring training? It's his first time as a full-time, a full season ahead. Um, he's got new new players to manage. He's got different expectations, um, heightened awareness of what this team's window is possibly. A lot of excitement, but also maybe, as you, as you mentioned, um, a bit of a calmer approach. How's he been when talking to the media about what he expects or what he's seeing from his team so far? Yeah, the expectations are clear. And, and all the, the players, the coaches, the front office, anyone I've talked to, I mean, the expectations are really high. I think everyone knows that this team has the potential to play in a world series and win one. So, you know, that's a really exciting thing. Now the same can be said of probably eight or 10 teams in baseball with, with, you know, that sort of upside for their season. So the Jays aren't alone in that, but they are one of the best teams in baseball. And that is reflected with the way that their manager talks. I, I think at the same time, you know, the coaching staff, the manager, this is a time of year for them where they have to be really busy. You know, they have dozens and dozens of players in camp. There are tons of conversations to have. There's the travel going between, you know, the different cities in Florida. Um, so it, it's a very busy time for them. And even yesterday, you know, the Jays were, I know it's spring training, and I was almost, you know, kind of laughing at myself for even noticing this the other day. But, you know, it was two outs away from a no-hitter for the Blue Jays. And we asked John Schneider about it, you know, kind of jokingly afterwards what he Thought. And he was pretty pumped up about it. Like he was, he was, you know, walking that line between kidding and then, you know, being a little bit serious about it. But he was saying like, we were pretty excited about that um, because of course, you know, you want to see your guys do well if you're a manager. So he's, he's definitely kept the tone consistent, but at the same time, you know, he's into the games. He's excited about the individual games and moments. It feels like he has a lot of sway, like all, all managers should have that, but like, and you're, you know, familiarizing yourself too with the new, uh, new manager and all the media members are doing the same, but it feels like if he's kind of like alluding to something, well, that's how it is. And it felt that way with the home run jacket. Like he was like, yeah, it's fine. But like, maybe we, maybe we don't have to do it. And then sure enough, they're not doing it. And I think he was making a comment about how maybe Alejandro Kirk shouldn't go to the W or the world baseball classic. And he's not going to the WBC. Does it seem like he has like, a real command over everything that's happening there in Dunedin. Yeah, he's definitely plugged in. He's definitely connected to the to the players and to the pulse of the team. Um, he's known these guys for a long time. I think he's someone who's 
able to get a good read on any you know situation. I, I imagine that if he was you know an accountant instead of a baseball manager, he would probably have a good pulse on the office vibe in in whatever he was doing. So you know that's a skill that he brings. It's one of the reasons that he is a manager. Um, for the Blue Jays and in the major leagues. And so, yeah, I think he's got a good read on what's going on. And sometimes he'll drop those little hints for those of us who are listening um, as far as what's coming next. Um, Okay, let's keep with the personnel not on the field with the uh, announcing of former Astros GM James Click added to the team's VP of baseball strategy. So we still don't really know what that means. And I think that's fine. <laughs> what does a VP of strategy do? But um, he had his, his first official day on the job, I believe yesterday. What do you know about wh- um, how the Jays plan to use his experience, his expertise, his, his history and his winning pedigree um, with this Blue Jays team? Yeah, it's a big question around the team right now. He arrived in Jays camp right around this time yesterday and started meeting with Blue Jays uh, front office officials uh, in the course of the next, well, really months, because uh, there's not a rush as far as, you know, trying to get something out of James Click immediately. Um, but he's going to get to know the way the Blue Jays operate and get an up-close look at that. And we haven't heard from Click yet, um, but the expectation is that he's going to spend a lot of time just really familiarizing himself with the way the Blue Jays do things. And of course, this is a big organization. Hundreds of people are employed here. They have big departments tasked with scouting high schoolers in Florida, developing pro players in the Dominican, making sure that major league players are getting their rest, putting it all together as far as roster construction, salaries. It's, you know, this is, this is stating the obvious, but there's a lot that goes into running a major league baseball team. So to understand that, takes a lot of time he's going to begin by understanding those things and taking a closer look and then by virtue of having worked with the Rays and worked with the Astros some of the teams that do these things really well he's naturally going to have input and suggestions as to things that the Blue Jays can do differently ways that they can add things that they might want to adjust and so that process will take a long time Um, you know not too long hopefully for the Blue Jays but you know it could take months before those things really start to show themselves as far as how the Blue Jays operate. But I wouldn't be surprised if he has input into, say, how they structure things for the draft, how they approach the trade deadline. This is a GM who's done a lot of things in the major leagues and obviously won against some really, really good competition. So this is a guy that can help them um, improve the way that they go about things. How much credit should Click receive for what we saw, the final end product with the Houston Astros this, this past year? I mean, he was the general manager there for three seasons. He inherited a great team and a great core and a, and a World Series type of core. Uh, but you look at like the depth of the pitching and the arms and the oppressiveness of their um, uh, of the the international prospects that they've had or that they did have helping and feeding that system. Is that his work? And how much of that like? should really encourage Jays fans that he was in charge of one of the great operations here recently with the Houston Astros. We just don't know exactly how much credit we should carve out to him for that. Yeah, it's honestly a really interesting question, and there's no answer to it, which is partly why it's such a fun one to debate. Jeff Lunau obviously uh, was the one who really built the Astros up from scratch, and um, you know before the science scaling scandal, before getting... Um, ousted from his position with the Astros and out of baseball entirely, he did some really impressive things. Um, now, you know, there was some help there. We all know the story, but the trash cans, et cetera, et cetera. We don't need to relitigate that now. But 
clearly James Click inherited a very good team, and then he kept it a very, very good team that remains the best team in the American League. So he certainly didn't mess it up. He certainly made a lot of good moves along the way. The Rays are in many ways a product of, of the work that he put in. So untangling how much credit he gets is really difficult to do. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of executives in baseball who wouldn't necessarily be able to take that to the finish line. And it's always a tough thing to do because you have to do everything from, you know, staffing the organization to making sure you have the right coaches in place to making that last, you know, trade deadline acquisition or two and and ultimately making the right uh, personnel decisions as far as who starts game four of the World Series. How are you going to deploy your bullpen? The GM has insight into those things and has input. So uh, Click definitely uh, gets some credit for winning the World Series as, as he should. Speaking with Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host of Ad Letters podcast from Dunedin. Okay, let's get to the hot topic right now. Uh, you say Kikuchi, two encouraging starts so far. I know a sample size is small, but I think possibly could allow for a little bit of, of, of tentative excitement if you're a Blue Jays fan. Am I, am I on the right page here? Oh, yeah. I think the hype is building, and, you know, these things can be fleeting, too. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, I think we all collectively reserve the right to, you know, shift the perspective as the results change. But, you know, he's, he's really impressed in two consecutive outings. So he's attacking the strike zone. It's not just the results where he's, he's had, you know, a couple strikeouts yesterday, and was really, um, you know, effective in, in allowing no runs and no hits against the Orioles. But beyond that, he's in the strike zone. He's being ac- aggressive within the strike zone. He's working with a lot of pace. He's talking afterwards about the, the good place mentally that he's in and his eagerness to um, throw strikes in the zone and attack hitters. So that's exactly what the Jays want to see. Now, again, it's March 2nd, so <laughs> there's more time to come, and it'll mean a lot more if it happens on May 2nd and you know, eventually October 2nd. Um, but this is great. This is the step you want to see. And, you know, again, the, the physical, the mental, all those things seem to be coming together now, and that's what you want. That's the best that you can hope for with still many steps remaining. I'm ready to soak it in while I can, even if it is March 2nd. I I caught a little bit of yesterday. He had a four-pitch walk, and I thought in a moment, that could be the opportunity that you see a previous iteration of Kikuchi crumble a bit. But you said it. I think the confidence for him might be king, just how he approached this offseason, how he looks this year with the beard. Like He just seems like a different guy in terms of the mental space he's in. And I wonder if he's someone that might benefit from the pitch clock, not just because of like of his pitching style, but just in terms of like less time to think. Like You just get out there and you, you dial it in, you throw, you throw, you throw. Is that someone that you think could actually benefit benefit from a little bit less time um, in the head and more in the arm. Well, that's what he says. And that's, um, you know, been a consistent theme as he's been talking about his own progress. He likes the pitch clock for that exact reason. Mm. So that's a great thing for the Jays is that, you know, he's out there not thinking about his mechanics. He's able to repeat his delivery without having to, you know, get inside his own head too much. And, you know, that's, that's something that he did struggle with last year. And it's, he's not unique in that. There are a lot of, a lot of athletes. Some of it's publicized, some of it's not publicized. But a ton of athletes deal with, you know, the, the challenges. It's a big part of the game of, of trying to be in the right mental headspace as you're trying to perform physically at your best. And those things definitely can go hand in hand. Um, and it's working right now for Kikuchi. So that's a great sign for the Jays because, you know, they really do need him. He's, he's that fifth starter um, going into this season. And, you know, we'll see Drew Hutchison this weekend 
he's probably, you know, him and Zach Thompson are probably the next wave behind Yusei Kikuchi. And, you know, that those guys will get their chances with the Blue Jays this year. But really, it, the better he can do, the better Kikuchi can do, uh, the, the Jays will be in a much better position to just consistently have someone out there who's capable of getting swing and miss. There's definitely a Kikuchi buzz, but the thing that I think got Blue Jays fans on Twitter and beyond most excited was the one inning from Ricky Tiedemann so far this spring. Uh, electric stuff. Uh, he's got the sweet tad. It looks like he's ready to go. He's still a young guy, though. Um, one inning, does it change anything? And, and what's sort of the outlook here as we look at Tiedemann's immediate future? Well, it was you know kind of reminiscent of Kikuchi in that Okay, it's one inning, it's early, but it was the best-case scenario for that inning. He was 98-99. This is, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, this is the Jays' top prospect, one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, and he really showed it against the Tigers on uh, a couple days ago when, when he faced them, and he was facing big leaguers too. It was Happy Baez, Austin Meadows, Matt Beerling, guys who have big league time and, and in some cases big league all-star appearances. So he was locked in. You know, I was watching him really closely just to get a sense of what he's like out there, what his demeanor's like. And he was pretty focused. He was locked in. He wasn't reacting in the moment after a big strikeout. It was only once he got to the dugout and started fist-bumping his teammates, his day was done. And at that point, he breaks into a grin and, and starts enjoying the moment, which, as, as he should. But, you know, in the moment between pitches, he stayed really focused. And that's, again, one inning, three batters. You know, the Jays need him to get to a point that he's facing 30 batters in a, in a start or, you know, 20, 25 batters in a start and getting a lot of results. But, you know, this is a great building block for him as he's in his first big league camp, just 20 years old. But he does have a lot of talent. And, you know, some of that swagger, too, that we've seen from guys like Marcus Stroman and Alec Manoa, some, some young pitching prospects who, who know that they have some pretty good stuff. Alejandro Kirk is joining the team today, I believe, after missing some time with his daughter's birth, who sounds all good and healthy and happy. He decided not to go to the World Baseball Classic, which seems to be the right decision just in terms of the ramp-up period here with the Blue Jays. Um, Any level of concern that this is setting him back at all or the the Blue Jays are well aware of the time and and seem confident with his uh, progress? Well, you know, there was enough concern that he isn't going to the World Baseball Classic, but I think now that that's off the table, he's going to have four weeks to get ready in Blue Jays camp. And four weeks, that's enough time. And, you know, you don't have a lot, a ton of room for error with that, but four weeks is, is a lot. He's already been doing baseball activities. There are new players in camp, of course, Eric Swanson, Chris Bassett, and others that he needs to familiarize himself with, but it's doable. You know, this is not... Uh, if this is the big problem that the Blue Jays are facing right now, that's okay. Like this is this is very manageable. John Schneider was saying like it's it's great that he was able to be there. Of course, for the birth of his child, that's definitely the important place for him to be. They still have four weeks, so you know at this point, no reason for concern with Kirk. Great, good to hear. Um, you've been down there enough to see the new train, uh, the new rules in action uh, at spring training. We've had, obviously, some mixed reviews, to say the least, from fans and players alike. Um, how are the players talking about the new rules? It seems like there's been some encouragement and, a, hey, this is just what we have to deal with. But has there been any hiccups or any sign of frustration with any of the guys, um, specifically on the Blue Jays, dealing with learning these new things on the fly? Not that I've seen. I mean, it really seems as though 
the players are making that adjustment. They have an extended chance right now to familiarize themselves with the timing um, that's that's required for them to get ready in the case of batters and for them to deliver the pitch in the case of in the case of pitchers. So, yeah, it seems like they're making that adjustment. These guys are they're used to making all kinds of adjustments. And you know, it kind of occurred to me the other day, like. This is a group of, of athletes who, you know, they'll play in the rain, they'll play in the snow, they'll play, they'll be traded and play for a different team the next day. They're kind of used to adapting to the situation in front of them. And so maybe it's different for, you know, a 15-year veteran who's always done things a certain way. But, you know, for the guys that I've heard from and spoken to in Jay's camp, they seem really, you know, just kind of matter-of-fact about it. It's just something they have to adjust to and... You know, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining when the when the games take like twenty or thirty minutes less time. So there's a there's a benefit in there for everyone as well. We're certainly not complaining. Average game this spring two hours and thirty nine minutes. That is uh, nice and tidy, and we very much enjoy the extra sleep when the summer comes around and we're watching Blue Jays games on the West Coast. Um, okay, one more for you, Ben. This weekend ahead, I know Manoa is making his uh, spring training debut today. What do you have your eyes on this weekend ahead? Manoa, for sure, always interesting to see what he can do. Kevin Gosman will make his debut tomorrow. Um, you know, I'd love to see Nate Pearson um, pitch. Uh, I haven't seen him yet. I know he's he has debuted, but I missed that game. So, you know, watching guys like Pearson is always interesting. Love to see Ricky Tiedemann out there again. Um, Addison Barger has been fun to watch. He's an infield prospect for the Jays. He's jacked, eh? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, crazy. Tight shirt, too, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can put a lot of people in a tight shirt, and they don't all That's look right. like Addison Barger. So, yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of power. Um, we'll see what um, what happens there. But um, yeah, it's a fun time just to really familiarize yourself with uh, a lot of the a lot of the players who maybe aren't in the spotlight come opening day. All right, lots to look forward to, Ben. Appreciate you joining us. Enjoy the warmth and sunshine, and we'll chat with you in a week or two. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host at the Letters Podcast, joining us from Dunedin. And, of course, Alec Manoa makes the spring training debut today, Thursday, as the Blue Jays take on the Pirates at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet. You can also stream the game on Sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet app to catch that live. That barger, barging through that shirt. Have you, have you seen? It's uh, it's painted on. It's, but that's the thing. is like I don't know if there is a you size of shirt that it. wouldn't be that tight on him he's a massive individual yeah there's lots of excitement around some of these young guys but i mean ricky tiedemann was electric in terms of the entry coming up to it he got his one little appearance and people are hungry for more just like kikuchi Uh, yeah kikuchi just looking at the line seven k's one walk four innings pitched so far in two starts uh for spring training like it could not be better so far for kikuchi which is uh, pretty hilarious and frightening, but also encouraging. And I, I'm, uh, for obviously reasons, cheering for him to turn things around. Mm-hmm. But just like on a personal level, I really hope this guy can turn things around. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And and that walk you mentioned yesterday, a four-pitch walk is tough. But to see him dial it back in, like for me, that's a tangible thing you can take away. Is that's Yeah, I think that's a good point. It, it's different. We haven't seen a Kikuchi be able to, you know, reel it back in. And find a way through. Um, small things, that's what spring training is about. Small, tangible things to look at. And for me, that was one of them. So, And you're, you're all looking forward to seeing one Nate Pearson. You know what? He's the this one guy the I can't year. get excited I know, Every about. time, it's funny, I wish we had camera on you every time Nate Pearson's name is spoken. You're like... <gasps> 
He's uh, he's my one eye roll guy. Yeah, but you know what? But like, if he goes out there and lights it up, I'll probably start getting excited, and then I'll be I, like everybody else. I understand your setting. sense of uh, hesitation. Don't get just, me wrong. Just want to get hurt again. Yeah, yeah, you can't get hurt on him and Kikuchi, or else it's a tough go it's already. Too for much us. of a letdown. <laughs> All right, so we have that on Sportsnet today. We also have Raps and Wizards live at 7 p.m. on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And, of course, Leafs and Flames at 9 p.m. tonight. Lots going through the station today. We'll have Jackie Redman on the other side of the break, who's joining us, headed to Rangers Fly or Rangers Flyers? Rangers no. Flyers last night. Oh, she's uh, she's going to be... Rangers Sends tonight. Oh, what a life. Mm-hmm. Rangers Sends tonight is uh, basically the weirdest must-watch must ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Kane at MSG making his debut and on maybe, Broadway. Maybe Chikrin? And maybe Chikrin. But you also have Leafs in Philly, uh, Leafs on the road against the Flames at 9. So lots of viewing tonight. Talk to Jackie on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show.